Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this Memorial Day Sunday at Central Church. We're glad that you can be here. We're glad for you who are joining us online can be with us, whether you're camping this weekend and just joining in or at home or wherever. We're thankful that you can join us. We're starting a new sermon series that will go from now, Memorial Day, to Labor Day. In the book of Romans, the epistle of Paul to the Romans. And so hopefully you've grabbed one of these journals. There's a few more out in the foyer. If you haven't got one, I need to remind you, Paul is who wrote this, right? Paul is the author. He's on his third mercenary journey. He'll take four. This is trip number three. He wants to go to Rome, but he can't go to Rome because he also has to take an offering that the Macedonian churches have taken to give to the Jerusalem churches, which are, which are, which are very, very poor. And so he's wishing he could be in Rome, but he can't be in Rome, and so he writes this letter. Now remember, remember, the Roman Christians, they, they don't have a Bible. They don't, they don't have, you know, the Gospel of Mark hasn't been written yet, or if it had been written by now, it certainly hasn't been probably in their hands yet. And so imagine trying to do church with no New Testament. You know the good news of Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead, and yet you're trying to encourage one another and teach one another and lead people. To, and you don't, you, don't even, you don't have the New Testament. You don't have anything. And yet that's where these believers are. So Paul is longing, oh, I wish I could go there and be with you and preach and, and make sure you get the great truths. That's why. And so instead, he can't do that. And so instead, he writes this, this great letter, which we're glad he did. Because he does, he, he covers all the, 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 the biggies, I guess you could say, justification and regeneration and redemption and sanctification and death and resurrection. He, he covers all of those things. It's very systematic. You're going to love this study because we're going to study all those things too. All right, first one. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Some versions say Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul was convinced you're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve yourself or you're going to serve money or you're going to serve your career or you're going to serve something. But he's saying, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That's, that's who I, I am. That's, that's my identifier. Jesus would have agreed with Paul, of course. Jesus, in, in John chapter 8, said, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve something. That's, what, that's what, what Paul and Jesus would say. And we know that's true. Just before his death, just before his murder, John Lennon wrote a song. It wasn't a super popular song. But the song, and I can't read all the lyrics to you on, on a Sunday morning. It's not, it's not, they're not lyrics made for Sunday morning worship. But the song is, is titled, Serve Yourself. And part of the lyrics, the beginning lyrics, the lyrics I can read in church, says this. You say you found Jesus Christ, he's the only one. You say you found Buddha sitting in the sun. You say you found Mohammed facing to the east. You say you found Krishna dancing in the streets. Well, there's something missing in this God Almighty stew. And it's your mother, your mother. Don't forget your mother, lad. It doesn't rhyme, but that's the song. You got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. You got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. Lenin's saying it, it's, it's all about you. 
You know, it's not, it's not Jesus or Muhammad or Krishna or any of those other things. It's, it's all about you. You've got to serve yourself. It's, you know, your mom brought you into this world. You've got to serve yourself. Well, in response to that song, Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, who, what, 2016 won the Nobel Prize poet for poetry, Bob Dylan wrote a song in response to Lennon's song. And in fact, he sang that song when he was named Male Vocalist of the Year in 1979. And his song was titled, You've Got to Serve Somebody. And it goes like this. I'm not going to read the whole song to you, but I'll read you a portion. It says, you may be a state trooper. You may be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. But then he says this, but you've got to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Later in that same song, he even wrote a, a lyrics about preachers. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. Yikes. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may be, know how to cut hair. You may be someone's mistress. You may be someone's heir, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. Paul would have agreed with Bob Dylan. He's saying, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's my identifier. How do you identify yourself? I suppose I could say, well, I'm, I'm Carla's husband. I'm Alex and Ben's dad. I'm, I'm the pastor of Central Church of Nazarene. La-dee-da. If I want your sympathy, I'm a Detroit Tigers fan. <laughs> if I really want your sympathy, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. <laughs> feel sorry for me. Paul is saying, am I identify the thing that I want you to know about me? Paul, a slave to Jesus. That's who I am. I'm a slave to Jesus. Everything runs through the Jesus filter. I'm consumed with Jesus. I'm all in with Jesus. Where Jesus says to go, that's where I go. What Jesus wants me to do, that's what I do. Why? Because I'm a slave to Jesus. He goes on to, to write in that first, <laughs> oh my land, we've only gotten six words in. We, we're going to be here until 2030. Okay, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. There it is. I was so clever, the gospel of God. I'm set apart for the good news of God. Then he goes on to write, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son that was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom you have received grace and worship and apostleship to bring to the obedience of faith for the sake of his name to all nations, including all who are called to belong to Christ Jesus, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be a saint. Hey, that's you too. You are called by God, called to be a saint. You are called by God to live a holy life. He goes on to say, grace and peace to God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, period. Oh, that is one long sentence, if you haven't caught on. If you're an English major, the period at the end of Christ, at the verse 7, is the first period out of those, the, that whole section. So the sentence begins with Paul in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ, Jesus Christ, and the sentence ends at verse 7, Jesus Christ, period. Oh, that's a long sentence. I get it, I get it. You know, I write, I write a blog, I write this little stuff for the foundry and the blah, blah, blah. And sometimes, sometimes when I get really excited, I write a run-on sentence too. I just write, write, and this, and this, and this. And that's what Paul's doing. 
He's just so excited about Jesus Christ. And he's, and he's talk, talking and, and he's saying, and Jesus did this, and, and you can look at it. He declares to be the Son of God. He's the power through the Holy Spirit. And by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ is our Lord. Verse four, we have received grace. It's Jesus, Jesus, it's all about Jesus. I'm a slave to Jesus and look what Jesus has done and look how Jesus has worked. It's all about Jesus. And he's so excited, he can't even, can't even put a period in. Just on, 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 on. It's all about Jesus. What would it look like if you and I were so consumed with Jesus too? If we were so caught up in following Jesus, so excited about this power of the gospel, that it would transform the way we we talk to our neighbors, the way we approach life, the way we think, that everything would go kind of through the Jesus filter? That, that we would be the type of people that, that it wouldn't be our rights? Our rights don't take precedence. Whose rights do? It's Jesus. Why? Because I'm a slave to Jesus. It's, it's not, not our desires that take precedence. It's Jesus. Because why? I'm a slave to Jesus. And I'm so excited about what Jesus has done in my life and so moved by how Jesus has worked in my life. Of course, my everything is Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. That's who he is in this one super long sentence. He's saying, I'm Paul. I'm a slave to Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. Everything that I live for is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, oh, I want that to be us. He goes on. We got to read on. We got to read on. Verse 8. First, and he's telling them why he can't come. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Wouldn't that be awesome? Not for a prideful thing, but don't you want, don't you want people to say, wow, look what's happening in Flint, Michigan. God is working in Flint, Michigan. There's, there, there's a movement of God in Flint, Michigan. It is known throughout the world. That can happen. Don't you believe that can happen? I think it can. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What a beautiful picture of the church that we might be mutually encouraging each other's faith. That's who we're supposed to be. Now this last year, it's been crazy. You know it's been crazy. And, and, and I don't know what we would have done without um, uh, our online capabilities. You know, when we were kind of sh- shut down, you know, and, and couldn't come to church, I'm so thankful for our online capabilities and I'm thankful for our people online who are watching. And if you're watching online right now, thank you, thank you, thank you. Maybe you're camping up north, but you're joining in to the service. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Save us more for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so I'm glad for that. It's been great. I don't know what we would have done without it. You know, way back last summer, I was doing those dumb quotes and quips and everything, you know, different sweatshirts. I thought that was going to last for two weeks. It lasted for 50 of those episodes. I ran out of sweatshirts and said, all right, I'm done. You know, we're trying to keep everybody connected. And it was, ah, what a year. But as wonderful as, as our online offering is, which I'm super thankful for, 
Our goal as a church is that we might mutually agree to encourage each other. And that's best done when we're, when we're together. You see, I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. And the church of Jesus Christ is when, is when everybody with different backgrounds and different experiences and different uh, histories can come together and find our oneness in Jesus Christ. Where, where, whether it's rich or poor or black or white or educated or uneducated or you know, Spartans or Wolverines or whatever, you know, as opposite as you could be, and whatever it may be, we come together and our oneness is in Jesus Christ. And when we get together, we mutually encourage each other's faith. It's saying we're here for you. We care for you. We're on the same team. We're on the same page. We, we are mutually encouraging each other's faith. That's the call. That's what Paul is saying. Okay, we've got to read on. Verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far been prevented in order that I might reap some harvest among you among the, and among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians. <laughs> I'm like Paul. I've preached to a few barbarians in my past too. Both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel with you. Finally, we get to my favorite verse. We only have eight minutes to go. Not even that, got a song to sing. Some would say verses 16 and 17 is the thesis for the whole book. Now let me remind you though, before we get to 16 and 17, just who is writing this again? This is Paul, formerly known as Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was the uh, golden boy of the Pharisees. Saul of Tarsus was the shining star Saul of Tarsus was the guy who, who was elected most likely to succeed in his high school class. Saul of Tarsus was the guy that, that, that the mothers of young Jewish boys and girls would point to and say, ah, you want to know who you can be? One day you can be like him, Saul of Tarsus. Think of him as the Wyatt Earp, the, 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 the J. Edgar Hoover, whatever, the great uh, keeper of the law. That's Saul of Tarsus. He was so consumed with the law, so consumed with the power of God that he would chase down any blasphemers, read Christian, and, and, and lead to their arrest, their torture, their maiming, even their execution. He's Saul of Tarsus. By his own admission in Philippians, he says this about himself. You know my pedigree, my legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of the religion, even to the point of persecuting Christians, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's book. The Saul of Tarsus. And all of that came to a screeching halt on the road to Damascus when he was knocked from his high horse the, and Jesus turned on the stadium lights and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, blinded by those lights, says, who, who, who in the world are you? And Jesus replied, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And from that moment on, everything changed. And Saul went from the great persecutor of the church to the great proclaimer of the gospel. And Saul went from this one who was so intent on ending Christianity to one who was the greatest proclamation or the proclaimer of Christianity. And so we get to verse 16. 
And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Ashamed of the gospel, are you kidding me? He's the great proclaimer of the gospel. He's, he, everything about him now, slave to Jesus, everything about him now is about the gospel. He eventually will be, will be imprisoned for this gospel. He eventually will be martyred for this gospel. Are you kidding me? Ashamed of the gospel, not on your life. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Three key words in this, in this 16th verse. For it is the power of God. The power that can transform a guy who is breathing down the necks of Christians, chasing down Christians, watching their execution. It is the power of God that can break that. For salvation, bring hope, of change lives, a new person, a new way of thinking, a new approach to living, a new approach to everything. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone, everyone, every single person you ever see or know. That is the power of the gospel. It can transform anyone, even a guy who's intent on ending, stamping out Christianity. If the power of the gospel can rescue a guy like Saul of Tarsus, imagine, there is not a person you know, the deepest atheist you know, that cannot be reached by the power of Jesus Christ. He goes on to write, for it is in the righteousness of God it is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From faith, for faith, by faith, it's all about faith in Jesus. Years ago, 20 years ago now, I, I, I heard a story um, from a Nazarene missionary, Dana Harding. She's still a Nazarene missionary in South Africa, Swaziland. She was then, and, and the story took place even 10 years before that, so 30 years ago, early 90s. She was the head of Nazarene Bible College in Swaziland. And the Church of the Nazarene discovered that there was a group of people, unreached people group in Mozambique, in the mountains of Mozambique. Never uh, had experienced any, any uh, Western influence whatsoever. Not, very, very, very primitive people. And so they, they only discovered it when, when an airplane flew over and realized that there were huts and, and people living in this mountainous region. It was hard to get to, impossible practically. But a Nazarene missionary got there. And he was trying, you know, they didn't speak a language he understood, and so it was very difficult to lead anyone to Christ. But he, let, he had one convert. And he wrote back to Dana Harding back in, in Swaziland and said, listen, I've got one convert and he is so on fire for Jesus. He wants to learn more and more about Jesus. And so I told him that he needs to come to the Bible college in, in Swaziland. And so I don't know how in the world he'll get there. He probably won't get there for a couple of years, but he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Well, Dana Harding, you know, she just kind of filed that letter. Okay, he'll, this guy will get here. Well, it wasn't two years, it's like two months. This guy shows up on the campus. He's wearing literally rags. He knows three words in English. Me, school, here. That's it. He spoke a language that no one could understand. Extremely primitive. So they didn't know what to do. She, they didn't know how he got there. He, and what they would later learn is he walked 1,500 miles to get to that school. I did a little research. 1,500 miles would be like if you were walking from from New Hampshire to Miami. That's 1,500 miles. From Denmark to Madrid, Spain, that's 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles is 9,700,000 steps. That's 1,500 miles. This guy did it in, in, in two months. He got there, he knew three words. Me, school, here. 
So Dana knew, all right, if we're going to teach this guy about Jesus, we've got we to gotta find some language that we can talk. And so we're going to have to teach him English before we can teach him about Jesus. And so they communicated that the next day would be lesson number one. Dana showed up to, to teach this guy. He was already in the classroom. This is probably a first on a Nazarene campground or a camp campus. She showed up to teach him. The guy was wearing no pants. No pants. You know, he's primitive as can be. So his next two words that he learned in, in English were trousers every day. <laughs> they began to teach him a little bit. You know, it's so difficult to teach him Jesus and teach him English. And, and eventually the guy kind of got frustrated. And he wanted to go back to, to his people in, in Mozambique. And the, and the people at the school were worried about that because he had been gone now for a couple of months and they didn't know how his, the people in his villages would, would respond to him after being gone. And he really didn't know that much about Jesus. You know, I mean, he, he, he didn't know much. But it's Nazarene Bible College. It's not Nazarene Bible prison. And so they couldn't keep him there. And the guy wanted to go back. And so they said, well... You know, we'll let him go. He really doesn't know much about Jesus. Really can't do much for the kingdom. But they also knew that the, the Nazarene missionary that was there, he was not very successful. In fact, the only convert he had was this guy. Even in the, those months that, that that guy had been gone, he still he didn't reach one other person. Just that one convert. That's all he had, one convert. That guy. Well, that guy wanted to go back. Well, he won't be much of a soul winner. He won't be much of a witness. He doesn't know much about Jesus, but let him go back. Of course, we can't keep him. So the guy went back to his village. And you know what happened? He didn't become a little soul winner. You're not going to believe this. This guy became like a super soul winner. At one point, he was averaging, averaging 250 converts a day. Not a lifetime, not in a year or a month, a day. He won his entire community to Jesus Christ. This guy who didn't know anything about Jesus, who when he showed up to school had never seen a fork or spoon, was eating bugs and grubs, super primitive. Then he went back and his people saw him and they saw the transformation that Jesus could make in a person's life and they said, man, we, we got to have what you got. I tell you, this is the same story as Paul's story. Paul was totally, totally anti, anti-Jesus and was powerfully transformed and, and gets to the point and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are you kidding me? The gospel is everything. The gospel is my life. And I tell you all that to say, you know what, my brothers and sisters? We can sit around our houses or sit around campfires if you're out camping this weekend. And we can moan and groan about where our country is heading or where, whatever. Last year, uh, 4,500 churches closed, 3,000 churches started. So that means that uh, evangelical churches in America lost 1,500 churches. We can complain about all that stuff. Or we can determine, you know what? I'm going to be consumed by Jesus. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to allow... I'm not going to allow, uh, as far as I'm concerned, as far as what I am able to do, this, just to watch everything go and to sit back and complain and say, this is it and this is the way it's got to be. No, I'm going to have faith in Jesus Christ 
and the power of the gospel that can take a guy like Saul of Tarsus and transform into the great missionary Paul, or can take a guy like this, this one who knew very little about Jesus but could transform him and he could transform his community. Say, that's who I want to be. I am not ashamed of the gospel, but I am going to be, do whatever Jesus wants. I'm going to be consumed with Jesus. I'm going to care for Jesus. I'm going to be all about Jesus. Jesus.